I don't know about you, but I am not a technological person, and I even took a long time before I broke down and got an iPhone. In fact, I didn't get this phone until 2014. I thought the one I had was fine. If you want to send somebody a text, you just mash those numbers three or four times, and then that right letter would pop up. But finally, I got an iPhone, and when I did, I thought, well, it's a bigger screen. It'll be easier to use. It'll be easier to text with. Had no idea at that time everything that this phone will do. It will take pictures. It will give you directions. It ha- you can have unlimited access to the Internet. In fact, I remember one night I got home from church, and I got to playing around on my phone, and I decided that I would take an IQ test. Have any of you ever done that? And it had 20 questions, and they gave you 20 minutes to take the test. And so I was going through that test and just going to see how, you know, if I was smart or not. That's what I was trying to figure out. And I got finished with it, and finished, when I got finished with question 20, I knew that I was not as smart as I thought I was because it said, to receive your test results, please enter your credit card number right now. And I thought, I'm an idiot. Can you say idiot when you're preaching? I thought, I'm not very smart to have taken children. Don't say idiot. But anyway, I thought, I'm not as smart as I thought I was because I wasted 20 minutes and I was not going to give them my credit card number. So I didn't, I don't know what my score was on that. My point is, the longer I keep this phone, the more I learn about it. In fact, there's still many features about this phone that I'm not familiar with, things about this phone that I don't understand. And maybe if I keep it long enough and and uh, learn more about it, then I'll get full use out of this phone. But as I was thinking about that, I thought Jesus is a lot like this phone. And that is, when we first got saved, we just knew Jesus as our Savior, right? We knew our sins were forgiven. As the choir sang, we knew that we were not guilty. We knew we were going to heaven when we die. But that's about all we knew. But as time passes, we learn that there's so much more to Jesus. It's just like that phone. The longer you keep that phone, the more things you find out it's able to do. The longer you go on with Jesus, the longer you walk with him, the more you discover what you have in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to think about tonight. So if you'll open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter number 8. This is the second of a seven-part series of sermons on the I am statements of Jesus. And we began this last Sunday night thinking about the fact that in the Gospel of John, in seven, on seven separate occasions, Jesus said, I am, identifying himself as God in the flesh. And then he attached to that, I am, a metaphor to help us better understand who he is. And as we saw last Sunday night, Jesus is the bread of life. And tonight we study the second of these statements where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now, if you want to just write a couple of things down at the top of your outline tonight to kind of get us caught up to speed and ready to go. As we think about Jesus being the bread of life, that tells us that Jesus satisfies, that he meets our deepest needs. He satisfies us. Now, tonight, as we think about Jesus being the light of the world, we discover that not only does Jesus satisfy us, but Jesus brightens up our life. In other words, there's something about Jesus. There's something about having a relationship with him that will brighten up your life, that will enhance your life, and in every way make your life better. And so tonight, we're thinking about the fact that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. John chapter 8 and verse number 12. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. 
He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so he identifies himself as the light of the world. He is the one who brightens things up, who helps us understand the way that we should go. And so what I want to do in this message tonight is try to answer three questions. First of all, what does it mean to walk in the light? Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll not walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. What does that mean? And then secondly, what are some benefits to walking in the light? In other words, if you decide after hearing this message that you want to walk more in the light than you have up until this point, what, what can you expect positively to happen in your life? And then thirdly tonight, I want us to think at the very end, how do we go about doing that? How can we walk in the light closer to Jesus maybe than we've ever been so that we can have all these benefits in our lives. And so first of all, first question, what does it mean to walk in the light? And I want you just to think about this very simple answer I've given to that question. To walk in the light is to have a relationship with Jesus that is so real that it changes everything about your life. Now I want to say that again. To walk in the light is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so real that it changes everything about your life. It changes your attitude, changes your actions, changes your overall approach to life. In other words, a person who is walking in the light is so closely identified with Jesus. Jesus is so real to that person that he has changed, for all practical purposes, everything about that person's life. May not have changed all their circumstances, probably he hasn't done that, but he changes our approach and our outlook and how we even think about some of our circumstances. So what are the benefits? If, if you and I have that, if Jesus becomes to us more than just our Savior, more than just the one who forgives us of our sins and takes us to heaven one day, but if he becomes uh, our very light and our very life, what can we expect to be some of the benefits of that. And so I want to just mention five things tonight by way of benefits. And I don't really want to get bogged down on any of these because what I really want to focus on tonight, and it won't take me long, but when we come to that third question, how can we walk in the light? I think my heart tonight is more on that point even than it is the first two. But nonetheless, let me mention five things that you can expect to happen in your life If Jesus becomes so real to you that you allow him to change everything about your life. Number one, there's going to be less sin in your life. Be less sin. I mean, common sense tells us that if Jesus were in the flesh with us, in other words, if if I could just look out and see Jesus from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, I sure would sin less. Because I would be embarrassed in the presence of Jesus to say something or to do something or to even think something that wouldn't be right. And so if we have a relationship with him that is so real that it's changing everything about our life, first thing it's going to change is that we're going to sin less. Now, it's interesting. In John chapter 8 verse 12 where Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, if you study the context of that, it's coming off of those of that passage of Scripture where Jesus is forgiving this adulterous woman. And I thought my dad was going to preach on that this morning, and I was going to preach on verse 12 tonight, and I, I thought, won't that be perfect timing? And then he messed everything up by preaching on a different verse. But he's going to preach on this next Sunday morning, but you're familiar with the story about how here this lady, and she's caught in the act of adultery, and so the religious leaders, they catch her. And they bring her to Jesus. Always been interesting to me, they didn't bring the man to Jesus. 
Can't commit adultery by yourself. Makes you think that the fellow was one of their friends. And so they just brought this lady to Jesus and said, the law says you should stone her. Have you ever noticed that legalism is selective in whom it condemns, in who it condemns? In other words, a legalistic person only throws stones at somebody that he doesn't really like to begin with. But if it's one of his friends, or certainly if it's himself, he's not going to apply the same strictness that he would to somebody. So here these religious leaders come with this lady, caught in the act of adultery for the purpose of testing Jesus. And they said to Jesus, "Here, Lord, she was, she was caught in the act of adultery, and it says in the Old Testament that she should be stoned. And so they were trying to see if he was going to uphold the Old Testament law. And Jesus said, that's fine if that's what you want to do. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And, of course, Jesus getting down on the ground, writing out things, and we're not sure what, I guess, Deb can explain next week. What was Jesus writing when he got down there on the ground? We don't know for sure, but evidently it was something that convicted them because when they saw what Jesus was writing, they began to drop their stones, and they began to walk off, and nobody threw a stone at her, and Jesus forgave the lady. It's a beautiful story how grace... uh, is greater than all of our sin. And then in verse 11, Jesus said these words to this lady, neither do I condemn you. Now watch this next phrase, go and sin no more. Say that part with me, go and sin no more. So he's saying that lady, you're forgiven for everything you've done wrong. I'm never going to, not holding that against you. It's just like it never happened. But going forward, don't do it again. Go and sin no more. Now it's interesting to me that in the very next verse, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. In other words, it's almost like he's telling this lady how not to sin. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So in 11, verse 11, go and sin no more. In verse 12, here's how not to sin anymore. Follow me. I'm the light of the world. And what Jesus is saying is, if you stay close enough to me, you're not going to want to sin because it would embarrass you and make you feel Uh, very terrible if you did that right right in front of Jesus. So first thing we can expect if we'll walk in the light is to have less sin in our life. The second thing we can expect is less confusion. In other words, if you walk in the light, and that is you're just walking closely to Jesus, life somehow is going to be clearer to you. And, And when you're making decisions, it's going to be easier to make decisions. And you're going to look at a situation and you're going to say, well, you know what? I, think, I know that I should do this because you're in the light, and what does light do? Well, it just brightens things up. And when you get home tonight, what's the first thing you're probably going to do when you walk in your house? You're going to flip the lights on so you can see better. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Turn the lights on so you can see. Light makes it easier to see. Well, same thing naturally that happens with light happens spiritually with Jesus when we have a relationship with Him that is so real that it changes everything about us, all of a sudden, the decision-making process becomes easier. Things become clearer to us. And even things that happen in our life that we don't understand, even that is clear in the sense that we're able to see it and say, God's in control. God allowed this into my life. Don't know why He allowed it, but He did allow it. So I'm not going to frustrate myself trying to figure every last thing out. I'm just going to accept it as part of something God has allowed into my life. And so it just becomes clearer. Now, I mentioned last Sunday night, one of the things that I've been doing recently that has been a tremendous help to me, and I've been doing it for the last 23, 24 days. Every night before I go to bed, I'm trying to read one psalm. Turn the TV off, get my Bible, 
and just read a psalm. Now, this is in addition to my normal Bible reading, but I just felt led to do that. And last night, about 11 o'clock or 11.30, turned the lights out in my house. Well, I had to turn the light on to read, but I turned TV off and some other lights off. And here I am, got my Bible, and I'm reading the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and so on. And so I read those six verses before I went to bed. And I thought, God, there's not a better way to end a day than to read this particular 23rd Psalm. It's a great Psalm. Got in bed, went off to sleep. And I've just been doing this for 23 days, and I've even missed two or three nights in the the last three weeks. But there's been something about doing that that is even making my mind clearer and sharper. And it's like I'm able to hear from God a little bit more easily. Give you a silly example of something that happened. Saturday night is a week ago. I was coming home to my house about 7.30, and I was driving down Space Center, and I put my blinker on to go left onto my, to the street leading to my house. And when I put it on to go left, the blinker bulb starts flashing 100 miles an hour. And you know that means your bulb's out, right? And so I thought, well, this is a fine time. You, you know, pick the fine time for this to happen because it's Saturday night. Tomorrow's Sunday. I'm going to be next week getting this fixed. And I got home, and I was just thinking about that. And as clearly as I know the voice of God, God spoke this. God said, go to Pep Boys up here on Fairmont. Go to Pep Boys. I just heard that in my mind, in my spirit. And I should have just gone because I thought it was from God, but I got my phone to check and make sure they were still open. I'm sure God didn't appreciate that very much. But I, I just double-checking God, making sure he knew the time because I thought they might close at 7. And it was 7.30. Well, when I looked it up on, the, on my little phone here, I mean, I'm telling you, the phone tells you what time Pet Boys closes. It's unbelievable. And it says it closed at 8 o'clock. And I thought, well, it's 8. It, now, it's 7.30. I got 30 minutes to get over there and wait in line. And, get, and God said, go. The longer you stand here, go. Go to. I got in my car. I drove to Pet Boys. And I said, now, Lord, I think you've told me to go over here. But the odds of me getting in there in time and finding the right bulb, and then finding somebody to help me, because you need a Ph.D. in engineering to put a light bulb, and a blinker bulb in your car. And so I got in there, and there was a gentleman, and I said, here, I need, a, he said, what kind of car do you drive? I told him, what model? I told him. He said, let me take you to the bulb. Took me right over there to it, said, this is the bulb you need. I said, can you install that for me? And he said, so, absolutely. And so we went outside, and it's getting now probably 7.45 or 7.50, and I didn't want him to have to stay after working hours to do that. And, but anyway, he goes out there. He got the bulb swapped out, and I gave him a little, a little tip for doing He said, no, you don't need to do that. And I said, well, hey, man, anybody do that for me. This is worth more than, I think I gave him $7. It's worth more than $7. But uh, got back in my car, and it was before 8 o'clock, and I thought, that was God told me to go to Pep Boys. I mean, just to tell you how real God... Aren't you thankful we have a God who even knows there is a Pep Boys? I mean, you talk about a relevant God. I mean, back in Old Testament, even New, there was no Pep Boys in the New Testament. In the, but I'm saying God knows what world we live in, and if he needs you there. But I'm just saying it just was so very clear to me what I needed to do. And so if we walk in the light, there's going to be less confusion. The decision-making process is going to be easier. And then a third thing we're going to find in our life is less conflict. Let me just read you a scripture. Jot this down. But in 1 John chapter number 2 and verses 10, 11, listen to this. The Bible says, he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. 
But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so Jesus said, if you walk in the light, you're going to love people. If you walk in the darkness, you're going to hate people. Better, another way to say that, not a, not a better way, but another way to say that, if you walk in the light, you're going to have less conflict in your relationships. If you walk in darkness, you're going to have more conflict. And so it's just another benefit of having a relationship with Jesus that is so real that it changes everything about your life. It's not just theology. It's not just what do you believe about dispensationalism or what is your view on the end time or how do you understand the role of the church in the 21st century. All those things are important and they have a place, but I'm just talking about your relationship with Jesus and how he can change everything, less conflict. Fourth thing that you can expect if you walk in the light is you'll have less coldness, less coldness in your heart. You know, one of the things that light does, it gives off warmth. You can always tell when somebody's walking in the light, when somebody is close to Jesus, because there's a warmth about them. There's a graciousness about them. There's some endearing quality about them. They have a better personality. They're kinder. They care about you. They're, they're, they're great. I mean, they're, they're, there's a certain warmth. And conversely, you can always tell when somebody's maybe not that way. And I think there are probably times in all of our lives when we're warm and kind and loving. And there are other times maybe when we're cold and rigid and, and short with people. I know yesterday I was with a friend and we were running a couple of errands and we went to this one place and there was a lady there who was helping us and I just got a, I hate to say it this way, God forgive me for being just, but I just got like a bad, not a bad vibe, but she just didn't seem friendly. And so I got back in the car with my friend and I said, did that lady seem cold to you? Did she seem cold? She didn't know who we were at all, but I said, did she seem cold to you? And my friend said, no, she didn't seem cold. She just said, I think she was just very professional. And I thought, well, that's a lot better way to say it than cold. I mean, professional. But, and, and like I say, Lord, forgive me for judging. But I don't mean to, ju- but I just, in my heart, I just thought, she doesn't seem friendly. She doesn't seem warm. Doesn't seem gracious. And I'm sure there are times in my life when I'm the same way. But I'm saying this, when we're walking in the light as he is in the light, then there's going to be a warmth about us because light warms a room up. And so we want to be a person that warms the room up, not somebody who's cold and frigid and distant and standoffish and making people feel nervous and making people feel like, well, he must not like me or she must not like me or he, he, not, he wasn't glad to see me. I'm not saying every time you see somebody at the store or out in public that you can have a 20-minute conversation. You may, not even cons- you may not even say anything, but you can smile. You can wave. You can make them feel like you're glad that you saw them. And so you can have a little less coldness. And then the fifth thing, a benefit of walking in the light is less fear. You're not going to be as afraid if you're walking that close to Jesus. I'm convinced if Jesus Christ were on this earth in the flesh and we could walk with him every day and see him, that we would have a lot less fear. Now, I say that and... Even as I say those words, I'm mindful of the disciples who had Jesus in the flesh, and yet they spent so much of their lives afraid. So maybe, maybe it wouldn't be automatic like that even for us. But it seems like to me if we could just see Jesus and, and know that he's, I mean, we do know that he's there, but if we could see him, that we would have less fear in our life. But even though we can't see him, if we'll trust him 
and walk with him and depend on him and just believe that he's there because he said he would be there, we're going to have less fear in our lives. Now, listen as I just read that list of benefits. These are the benefits of walking in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? It means to have a relationship with Jesus that is so real that he changes everything about your life, your attitude, your actions, your approach to life, how you see life. Listen to the benefits of that. Less sin, less confusion, less conflict, less coldness, and less fear. Now, if that sounds like something you'd like to have in your life, say amen to that. I know. I'd, hey, if somebody out tonight on Fairmont selling some pill I could take that would give me less sin, less confusion, less conflict, less coldness, less fear, I'd buy that pill. Because that my, how much better would our lives be if we had less sin, less confusion, less conflict, less coldness, and less, man, that'd be a, and less fear. That'd be a fantastic life. And so that gets us to where I really want us to be tonight. How, does, how, does, how do we walk in the light? Walking in the light is having a relationship with Jesus. It is real. It means something to you. How do we do that? How do we go about walking in the light? Well, jot this down in your outline. Here's how you walk in the light. By living every moment of every day with an awareness of His presence and an obedience to His Word. Now, I want to say that again. That's how you walk in the light. By living every moment of every day. It's a moment-by-moment thing. It would be possible for you to have been walking with Jesus this morning and something happened this afternoon and you're not walking with Him right now. It's moment-by-moment. To walk in the light. Here's how you do it. It's, It's by living every moment of every day with an awareness of His presence, wherever you are in your life, to have an awareness of His presence and an obedience to His Word. Now, let's think about, first of all, that obedience to His Word first. Again, Jesus said to that lady, I forgive you for everything you've done wrong. Don't do it again. And then He said, here's how not to do it again. Remember, I'm the light of the world. The person who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He was saying to that lady, here's how you sin no more follow me, stay close to me, have a relationship with me that is so real. And so certainly a big part of walking in the light is being obedient to Jesus and doing what he tells you to do. So I think we would all agree with that. But notice this other thing I've said because this is where my heart is tonight. It's not only by being obedient, but watch this, by living every moment of every day with an awareness of His presence. That's the thing lately that has been on my mind and in my heart, an awareness of God's presence. And I was thinking not many days ago, if a person had an awareness of God's presence, I think that would change everything about that person's life. In fact, you think about this. What do you think is the greatest need in a human being's life? What do you think that the greatest need is? Well, certainly, our greatest need is to be forgiven and to be saved. I mean, that's everybody's greatest need. But how about after we got saved? You say, I've already been saved. Some of you have been saved for many years. So what is the greatest need in the life of a believer? If you would have asked me that question even six months ago, you know what I think I would have said? I would have said the greatest need in the life of a believer is wisdom. And people used to ask me all the time, John, what can I pray for you? People still ask me. I say, and I would always say wisdom. For years I said that. 
And I said it based on, in 1 Kings chapter 3, God appeared to Solomon one night. And God said, Solomon, you can ask whatever you want to ask for, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said to the Lord, I need wisdom. And God was pleased with Solomon's request. And he gave him, became the wisest king who ever lived. But as you study the life of Solomon, I was reading it in my Bible a few months ago about Solomon's life. Even though he was wise, he ends up with 700 wives, 300 girlfriends, worshiping foreign gods. His heart, the Bible says, turned away from the Lord. So that says to me, there's something more important than wisdom. Because the wisest man in the world at the end, he didn't finish well. So you would say, well, you're right. What's more important than wisdom is obedience. And that is right. Obedience is even more important than wisdom. But what I'm saying is, there's something, I wouldn't say it's more important than obedience, but there's something that's right up there with obedience that is very important, something that every Christian needs in his or her life, and that is an awareness of the presence of God. So many of the problems we have, especially problems that deal with fear, and though, you know anything that's a cousin or a brother or sister of fear, If we just had an awareness of the presence of God in our lives, it would change all of that. Let me give you a scripture verse to write down. In the book of Psalms, in chapter 16, this is one of my favorite verses, and I want to read it so I don't quote it wrong. Psalm 16 and verse number 11, listen to what David said. You will show me the path of life. Now listen to this next part. In your presence is fullness of joy. You see, an awareness of God's presence is not only the solution to fear, it's the solution to misery. It's the solution to unhappiness. It's the solution to joylessness. It's the solution to a life with no real purpose. It's the solution to negativity. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, watch this, are pleasures forevermore. So the Bible is saying that In God's presence, there's not only joy, but there's pleasures, there's happiness. All this is found in God's presence. And so what we need is an awareness of God's presence. If you ask me, you come up to me after church tonight and say, John, what can I pray for you? Well, I wish you'd pray for wisdom, obedience, that I would sin less, that I would be a better Christian, that my faith would grow. I wish you'd just pray everything you can think of that'd be good. But one of the things I would treasure more than anything else would be that you would pray for me God, give him an awareness of your presence. You see, I'm up here saying, and sometimes I do feel like it would really be better if we could have had it like the disciples had it, where we could have seen Jesus. But then I'm reminded of what Jesus said in John 16 when he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said to those disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit. He'll be with you and in you and so on. Jesus was saying, it is better for you to have the Holy Spirit living in you than it would be to have me right there beside you. Now, that tells you how special the Holy Spirit is. Because Jesus is saying, it's better to have him in your heart than it is me in the flesh. So what we need is an awareness of God's presence. Now, I want to share something I did not long ago that was a blessing to me, and I'm just passing it on to you tonight as something for you to consider doing in your own life. Now, not too awfully long ago, I was going somewhere one day, and I was by myself, and I was a little bit, just a little bit nervous about this thing that I was going on, and just no big deal, nothing to do with my health, nothing like that. It was just something I was doing, and I was just driving down the road, and I was a little bit nervous, 
And I started thinking about what I'm talking to you about tonight, about the presence of God. And I thought, Lord, now by the way, this is a good question. If I were to ask you tonight, where is Jesus? What's the answer to that question? Well, I'll tell you where Jesus is. He's above us in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's living inside of our hearts in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's right next to us as the friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's leading us. He's our leader because he said, follow me. But did you know there's a sense in which Jesus is coming along behind us? Isaiah 52, 12 says that God is our rear guard. Psalm 23 and verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall what? Follow me. All the... So Jesus is everywhere. He's above us. He's in us. He's next to us. He's in front of us. He's behind us. So I'm driving down the road one day in my car. Genoa Red Bluff. So I was driving down Genoa Red Bluff. And I was a little bit nervous. And I just got thinking about God's presence. And I don't know, I kind of do know where this came from, but I didn't expect it to happen quite like this. In my imagination, now I'm going to call it my sanctified imagination, but maybe just my imagination. I started imagining Jesus in the back seat of my forerunner. I know he's in my heart. I know he's next to me. I know he's leading me. But I just got to imagining Jesus sitting in the back seat. And I started talking to him. And I said, Lord, I, I just feel in my heart. I know you're with me everywhere I go. And I, I don't know why I'm thinking necessarily about you being in my back seat today. But I'm just thinking about it. And in my mind, I just got to thinking, what would Jesus be doing if he were sitting in my back seat? Well, I just driving along, having this little thought thing in my mind. And for some reason, I started imagining Jesus falling asleep in the back seat. And the reason I thought about that is because in, in the Gospels, we read one time, Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee in the boat with the disciples, and there was a bad storm, and they were all nervous, and Jesus fell asleep. Now, I know the Bible says God never sleeps and he never slumbers. So you don't have to email me that this week and correct me. I know that he doesn't sleep. I'm just saying I got to imagining Jesus kind of drifting off. Because in, when we imagine Jesus in his humanity, he did sleep. And when I imagine Jesus drifting off to sleep in my back seat, I just thought this to myself. Well, if he's not any more worried than that, then I'm not going to be worried either. And that may sound silly to you, but there was something about imagining Jesus taking a nap in the back seat of my car that gave me a peace. Now, some of you take a nap every time I preach, and that doesn't give me any peace. <laughs> but thinking about Jesus taking a nap when I was a little bit nervous about something gave me a real peace. And so I, 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 I just thought, man, I've got to, I just look back in my rearview mirror, and I just see you in my mind's eye. I just see Jesus, and I think, well, if he's not worried, I'm not worried either. And so the next time I got in my car, I was driving down Genoa Red Bluff again. And I said, I'm going to do that again because I really enjoy it. That just, makes, that just makes Jesus feel all the more close to me. And so I just was driving along, and I said, well, Lord, I'm just glad that you're with me in my car right now while I'm fixing to drive to where I'm going. And I said, Lord, what are you thinking back there today? I said, the last time we did this, you fell asleep on me. And I said, now, what are you thinking about now? And in my mind's eye, now, this is an imagine, just an, in my mind's eye, I just could see Jesus 
looking at the other cars on the road, looking at the houses that people live in. And I just got to thinking, if Jesus were in my car right now, not only would he not be worried about some of the things that sometimes cause me to be nervous and worried, but Jesus would be thinking about other people. And who lives here? Who's driving this car? What does that person's need? This person needs to get saved. And so as I started driving down Genoa Red Bluff, instead of worrying about something that maybe I would be more likely to worry about, I found myself thinking and praying for the people driving in their cars. I said, God, I don't know these people. Maybe they, some of them need to get saved. I don't know who lives in all these houses. I pray, God, that their people will be saved in those houses. And I did that twice. And I know some of you may think that's silly and crazy, and maybe it is to do that. But just having those two experiences, imagining Jesus riding with me in the back of my car, you know what it was like God said to me? It was like God said to me, John, as you go through life, if you will get your mind upward and outward instead of inward, you'll have a lot better life. In other words, if you'll spend more of your energy thinking about me and thinking about other people and less of your time thinking about you, then you're going to have a better life. Now, I want to be clear about something. You still listen and say amen. When I'm driving down the road thinking about Je- I'm not imagining Jesus into existence. I mean, Jesus is not my imaginary friend. Jesus is real. I understand that. Now, but I'm just saying... As we walk by faith, sometimes we have to do things to help remind us that he's there. I was talking to a friend last week, and she was telling me there was a time in her life she was going through some some stress and, and all kinds of things. And one day she was worried about something, and she got in her car to go somewhere, and she said, Lord, I know that you're with me. But I just need a reminder. I know you're here, but I just need a reminder. She was in the car by herself, and she reached over, and she took the seatbelt on the passenger side, and she just buckled Jesus in. And she said, now, Lord, I know that may sound silly to you, but it helps me just to, remind, just to be reminded that you are right here with me. And so what I'm saying is, you don't imagine Jesus into existence. He's there, whether you think about him in the back, or whether you don't even have any images. You just talk to him and don't even try to put him anywhere in your mind. You just say, I know you're here. But I'm, I'm saying to you, there's something about an awareness of God's presence that would change everything about our lives. And I just personally believe it is so important that sometimes we might have to buckle him in or sometimes we might have to say, now, Lord, I know there is a sense, literally, if you're my rear guard, that you are in the back seat of this car. And so, Lord, what are you thinking back there? And just sometimes to do a little something like that is so very helpful. I heard a story years ago about a chaplain who was making his rounds one night in a hospital. He was visiting in the hospice part of that hospital, people who were very terminally ill and, and uh, you know, facing death. He went into a man's room one night, and the man was, was in a very serious condition. But not only was he physically sick, he was scared. He was emotionally distraught. And so the chaplain sat down and introduced himself, and he said, Now, tell me what it is physically that you're battling. And the man told him what he had. And the chaplain said, Well, now, what are the doctors saying about you? And the doctor said, Well, the doctors are saying that it's just a matter of time, that uh, there's not anything else that they can do for me. My organs are shutting down. And, and, and so they're just having this conversation. And the patient said to the chaplain, he said, But you know what really makes this so hard? is I'm in this room all alone. He said, my family lives hundreds of miles away, and I'm just by myself. And so the chaplain wisely said to the man, sir, do you feel like you're saved? Have you ever received Jesus? He said, oh, yes, I know I'm saved. He said, I know God's here with me. I know I'm not alone. He said, I'm just telling you, 
I feel alone. And so the chaplain was trying to think of something he could say to help that man in his lonely and dying condition. And so the chaplain looked around the room, and he saw a chair in the corner of the room. And he said to the patient, he said, Sir, I'm going to make a suggestion to you that might be helpful. You might want to think about doing it. And he said, Well, I'll do anything if you think it'll help me not feel so alone. He said, Well, you've already said you're saved, so we both know that Jesus is in this room with you. And uh, whether we feel him or not, we know he's here. But he said, do you see that chair in the corner? And the man said, yeah, I see that chair. He said, well, in a few minutes, I'm going to have prayer over you, and I'm going to leave, and I won't be back until tomorrow night. But he said, tonight, as you're laying here in this bed, and if you can't sleep, and it becomes a long night, he said, when you look over at that chair, I want you just to use your imagination And imagine Jesus Christ sitting in that chair. Now remember, we're not imagining Jesus into existence. He's with us whether we do things like this or not. But the chaplain was just trying to give that man something tangible, something helpful that he could do. And so he said, you just imagine Jesus sitting in that chair. And you talk to him just like you would talk to him if he were sitting there. Tell him you're afraid. Tell him you feel lonely. Tell him everything that's on your mind. Tell him you're grateful that he has saved you and going to take you to heaven. Just tonight, it could be a long night, and as it goes on, you just talk to Jesus as though he were in that chair. He was trying to make make Jesus seem more real to that man. And so the chaplain prayed over him and left, and the man laid staying in his bed because he couldn't. He he could he could get up, but he couldn't do anything other than that. And so he laid there for a few minutes, and he looked at that chair and he thought about. What the, doc, what the chaplain had said. And anyway, time went on. And 24 hours later, the chaplain was back in the hospital making his rounds. And he walked in that room. And when he walked in the room, he noticed the room had been cleaned up, spick and span. The bed had been made, new sheets. Nobody was in that bed. It was in, the room was empty. And so the chaplain went down to the nurse's station and said, and since the chaplain kind of worked for the hospital, they could have an open conversation. Chaplain said to one of the nurses, he said, the gentleman that was in so-and-so room that I came to visit last night, did he die during the middle of the night? And the nurse said, yes, he did. In fact, she said he died early this morning. And the nurse said to the chaplain, it was the strangest thing that any of us had ever seen. And she said, I wasn't on the shift when they found him dead, but the morning crew told this story to those of us coming on the night shift. And She said, again, it's the most amazing thing. And the chaplain said, well, what happened? And the nurse said, well, when the first nurse went in this morning to make her morning rounds, she found that man not laying in his bed as he had been every other day when she went, but she found that man on his knees at the foot of that chair, laying on the chair, She said it was the strangest description the nurse gave. She said it was like that man died hugging that chair. And I thought about that story and I thought that chaplain gave that patient a visualization. Not that made Jesus real. Jesus was already real. But he gave that man a visualization that helped that man to understand that Jesus was there even though he couldn't see him. I'm saying to you tonight, in a few minutes we're going to dismiss this service, we're all going to our homes. And maybe you go home tonight, you're not worried about anything in the world. Praise God for that. Maybe something's laying heavy on your heart and you are a little bit worried and nervous and anxious. 
I would give you a challenge tonight. On the way home, look back in your rearview mirror and just say to Jesus, Jesus, I know you're with me back there. What are you thinking about tonight? And you just let Jesus speak to your heart and let Jesus comfort you or let Jesus tell you whatever he needs to tell you. I'm saying to you tonight, if we could have an awareness of the presence of God in our lives, not all of our problems, but many of our problems would be solved. And even if nothing changed externally, a whole lot of things would change internally because we would say, you know what? If Jesus is here, what in the world am I afraid of? Last night when I was reading that 23rd Psalm, I came to the fourth verse. And David said this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, remember the next line? I I will fear no evil. You read that, and you say, Hey, David, how are you saying that at the moment of death you will fear no evil? You remember the next line after, I will fear no evil? For you are with me. There's something about the presence of God that negates the fear in our lives. And tonight, I would encourage you, whether you need to be like me or that chaplain or that patient, and sometimes you have to use your sanctified imagination and buckle Jesus in, or look in your rearview mirror, or look to it. Maybe you have a chair in your home. You say, Jesus, I know. Whether you do that or maybe you're beyond that, you don't have to do that. I'm challenging you. Live your life with an awareness of his presence, and everything will change. Amen? Father, take the message tonight. Seal it to our hearts. And God, help us to understand that since we have the light of the world in Jesus, we don't have to walk around in darkness. We don't have to walk around, God, not knowing what to do or sinning. or th- No, we don't have to walk around in, with joylessness and misery and depression and no hope. We have the light of the world. Lord, I ask you tonight, for every person who's in this room and every person who's listening beyond this room tonight, I'm praying, Jesus, that you would brighten up our lives, that you would give us a fresh awareness of your presence, and that as we go from here tonight, God, we would go knowing that you go with us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the people said.